This is Naki, and this is Filtered Through Fiction, where we look at life through the lens of our favorite fiction. This week, episode 11 of Wicked, where we cover the Jasper Gates of Kiamoko. Kiamoko. Yeah. This is a very long chapter. A lot of action. A lot of action in this chapter. Yeah, there's a lot of action. I would argue not a lot of themes. Not a lot of content. Right now, Alphaba is not my favorite person. Also, I hate children. Yeah. Which Psychopath children. Yeah. Children are garbage. Children are trash. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's the parenting. We can talk about that. (laughs) Oh, maybe it is, though. Maybe we should talk about that. Oh, so parents are garbage. Mm, (laughs) mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You ready for a recap? Only if it's 20 minutes long. It probably <laughs> will be. The recap is the entire chapter. <laughs> and there are 10 sections yep, there are. in this chapter. Do you want me to talk really fast? No. I well, it would do be it really funny. Fast. We meet Serena's sisters, two through six, and Fiero and Serena's children, Irji, Manic, and Noor. You want me to do it like that? I mean, I think it's funny, but I don't know if anybody else <laughs> probably will. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Okay. All right. I'll do it. I'll take it easy. So, yes, there are 10 sections, and we're going to do them all today. So, get ready, kids. Strap in. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Not on. Not Not strap on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wearing a hat so you can't see my face as I giggle and blush. I think she's blushing, guys. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a lot to make me blush, but... You're welcome. You're up. Thank you. <laughs> okay. All right. Part one. We meet Sarima's sisters. Their names are two, three, four, five, and six. Uh, pause. Uh, yeah. Did you automatically think of them as the Enneagram types? I did. 100%. <laughs> That's okay. so funny. Also, five is has kind of a like the same attitude as five from the umbrella Academy. Mm. And I couldn't stop picturing her as him, (laughs) which was really funny in my brain. So, yeah. We also meet Fiero and Serima's children, Irji, Manic, and Nor. Uh, Irji and Manic are boys. Nor is a daughter. Nor tells Serima about some pretty nasty bullying Manic did to Lear while they were playing earlier. Serima blows it off. Um, she gets ready for supper with their guests, and when they are introduced, Alphaba tries to tell Fiero's story and be forgiven, but Serima doesn't want to hear it. She tells Alphaba to eat and rest, and maybe they'll talk in a week. Part two. The sisters are petty. Manic is a little shit. A psychopathic shit. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he threatens to throw Lear off the roof if he doesn't tell them secrets about Alphaba, nor does try to defend him. Sarima invites Alphaba to have their little talk. Alfie states that she wasn't planning on staying at Kiamoko long. Sarima offers her and Lear a tower to themselves for the winter, but only on the condition that Alphaba will not talk about Fiero. Denial at its finest. Yep. Part three. Alphaba takes stock of the entire castle, knows where everyone sleeps except Lear. Nor takes Alphaba's papers to color on, accidentally releasing Chistery the monkey from her room. He goes to the kitchen, 
where Noor and the sisters are making cookies for Lurleen Moss, where he proceeds to cause a ruckus. Or as I say, he's freaking the fuck out. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, He probably got into the sugar, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Elphaba berates Nora for stealing the papers and chastises the sisters for the discipline they were about to bestow on Chistery. Um, Lurleen Moss arrives and Lear is ashamed to have no presence. Elfie isolates and Sarima prays. Remember, this is when Firo died, yeah. was beaten, disappeared, whatever happened. Chapter four. Elphaba. Do you, you know if bookwise, if we ever find out? Yeah, we'll find out. Okay. Yeah. Part four. Alphaba comes out a few weeks later and apologizes to the sisters and then digs for dirt on Sarima. The sisters tell of how Sarima learned of the loss of Fiero and that she thought he was having an affair with Glinda. Alphaba gets a little jealous there. <laughs> it's kind of a moment and it cracks me up. Sarima thinks Glinda's husband had Fiero killed. The sisters think it was political. And moving on, part five. Alphaba finds the Grimmery, which is a kind of magical encyclopedia. Sarima tells her the peculiar story of how it came to be there, apparently from another world, brought by a wandering sorcerer. Um, Alphaba reiterates her denial of an afterlife, then asks if she can take the book to read it. Chapter six, part six, whatever. The children play hide and seek. They find Manic spying on Elphaba as she reads from the Grimmery and attempts to teach Chistri to speak, or rather, to discover the animal link in him. Um, another day, the household decides to go ice skating. Sarima asks about Elphaba's magic broom. Elphaba states it's not magic, it's as far as she knows, but that she got it from Mother Yackle. Fucking Yackle. Fucking Yackle. The Yackle Mist. The Yackle Mist. <laughs> Back again. Um, <laughs> who told her it was her link to her destiny? No. Mm, what does that mean? I don't know. It's fascinating. It goes up on the conspiracy board. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nor asks her mom to tell her a story, so Elphaba hears a folktale for the first time. Um, and she and Sarima argue about the existence of an afterlife again. <laughs> This is a constant battle with them. Part seven. Here we are. The kids are being dicks to Lear again and decide to go torment history as well. Uh, they've convinced themselves he is actually a boy magicked into a monkey and they try to ask him what spell he's under. Alphaba catches them in her rooms and kicks them out. They decide they're no longer scared of her. That's going to be a mistake. Oh, foreshadowing. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Part eight, hide and seek again. This time, Manic convinces Lear to hide in the fish well, then goes off to hide elsewhere. Alphaba confronts Sarima about her awful children and her parenting. Four announces sight of a visitor and Sarima's children arrive. Four notes, Lear isn't there. Take note that it's four that notices. It's not even Sarima or Alphaba. It's one of the random sisters. Pisses me off. Anyway, but the kids blow her off and decide to have a bonfire to welcome the guests. Part nine, the visitors arrive at the gate. All but Lear are there to greet them. When the cabin door opens, Nanny appears. I know. Nanny. I put, it's fucking Nanny. (laughs) Yes. Elfie almost sobs with joy and the rest are shocked that she is capable of human emotion. 
They sit down for dinner, still sans lear, and Nanny explains it was Crope who led her to find Elfie. The sisters ask for news of the outside world, and Nanny relays that the wizard has crowned himself emperor. Part 10. The sisters discuss what they've learned about Elphaba from Nanny, including her name. Oh yeah, she's been going by Auntie Guest the whole time. She She doesn't want to tell them her name. Yeah, I forgot to note that. So Nanny actually calls her by her name. So then Five tells them the story of St. Elphaba. um, Of the waterfall. St. Elphaba of the waterfall, who eats grapes and lives forever. Um, Nor and Irji burst in and say they found Lear... Everyone convenes in the kitchen where they expect Alphaba to be able to magic him back. Uh, she administers mouth to mouth at Nanny's direction, and he does come back. Whew. It is discovered that he has been couch surfing with the other kids and doesn't even have his own bed. The adults all argue as they take him to Nanny's room to recover. Sarima and Alphaba discuss the tribal rituals of the boys, and then Sarima explains hot and cold anger, which I want to talk about, so that's all I'm going to say about that. Alphaba spends a lot of internal time considering these angers before she decides that to be successful, one needs both. As she ponders, she focuses on an icicle, which breaks off and kills Manic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Never cheered for the death of a child in my life, but this kid can fuck right off. Yeah. I was like fist pumping. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Like when I say bullying in this recap. He trapped that kid in a he fucking well. Fucking trapped him in a well. Which was already starting to slightly like rise, rise. because of the rains that they were having. So he literally slowly drowned him. Yeah. And knew he And knew he was in there and acted like he didn't know where he was and he must have fallen asleep while they were playing. Like, he's a fucking murderer or an attempted murderer. He's an cheeky psycho. Yeah. That's my plan on American Psycho. Yes. I have to return some videotapes. Anyway, Murderous Manic is dead. And now we can talk about... Murderous Manic is murdered. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, but it was an accident. It was an icicle. What was it? It's a perfect murder. An icicle fell on Christina Yang in Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> and you pulled nobody, out my icicle. <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody thought anything of that. There could have been a witch directing that yeah. at her. It was Meredith Grey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Eve. No, it was what's her yeah. name? Oh, Villanelle. Villanelle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crossover oh my god we are on a definitely the most crossed over episode and we're like not we're just through the recap yep all right (laughs) do you have anything you want to talk about no i didn't take any notes (laughs) (laughs) um i want to talk about parenting and i want to talk about these hot and cold angers that's pretty much it for me okay i guess the two things that are on my list that are not either of those things because I had the hot and cold anger written down as well. With Sarima, just like the whole aversion to hearing what is hard to hear. Mm-hmm. Or what, I mean, I think ultimately she probably knows at least some of what Alphaba is going to share with her. Because she did say, I'm basically responsible for his death. So there has to be some kind of connection that is strong enough that he would be murdered because of Alphaba. Right. Just that Sarima 
really has put up this huge boundary of she doesn't want to know this information and how we can avoid things that are hard to mm -hmm. hear. Cause I think that would be incredibly hard to hear that, right. um, the things that even though you've suspected them, it's far different to suspect it and to know it. And I lied. I just saw one of my notes that I wrote down. So I'm, I have one more thing to talk yeah, about. I lied too. I have, <laughs> I, I'm like, no, there was more. I just, yeah. And then the other piece of this same, so I'm kind of taking two points and meshing them together, which we can, as we discuss them, we can unmesh them. But also that Alphaba is in a way taking this scenario and really making about like coming clean is a relief to her. It's not a relief to Sarima. Yeah. And how sometimes we want to make good on something or she wants to confess something and come clean, but it's not about Sarima at all. It's about Alphaba's own comfort. Mm -hmm. She and wants that, to be forgiven. Yeah. It's yeah. A hundred percent her, her comfort yeah. that she's looking for. Well, and I think that a third spoke to this wheel <laughs> that goes with the whole thing is this continued conversation they keep having about the afterlife and Sarima doesn't want to talk about Fiero, but she is, as we find later in this section, like she is really leaning into that, that he's waiting for her yeah. in the afterlife. Yeah. He's, he's going to be there. And I have thoughts. Share, share your thoughts. Well, I just, okay. First of all, from Fiero's perspective, there wasn't much of a connection on earth. Like, with him being alive. Right. And it's interesting to me, regardless of where you stand on an afterlife, yeah. but the whole like, we'll be together in the afterlife thing. If you think of it in terms of like, good place, bad place, sure. heaven, hell, delightful and enjoyable, shitty and awful, per, you know, mm -hmm. juxtaposition. That's not the word, but that's okay. Would it be heaven for Fiero to be in this afterlife with Sarima? <laughs> Doesn't good point. seem like he would want to do that based and on his... I think if she really thought about it, would it really be heaven for her either? Right. You know, I get the sense that she's kind of romanticizing their oh, relationship yeah. after his death. I don't know. Not necessarily like the whole, you don't know what you've got until it's gone or anything. Because I don't think she really had a lot in Fierro. Um, being that he was gone yeah. much of the time. It was an arranged marriage. They yeah. didn't have... From, from being from seven children. years old. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't a emotional attachment that they had towards one another. Yeah. It was political. Yeah. And maybe it's a loneliness or just like a... I think the certainty, uncertainty that comes with, um, regardless of him not phys like physically being present a lot, but in some ways him being the prince offers a kind of protection. I think it also probably uh, like assures some kind of future for their children and things like that. And, uh, mm -hmm. and now a lot of that, you know, she addresses like why she doesn't let her kids go certain places because she knows they're going to be targets. They'll be targets. And so it just seems to me, she's romanticizing what they had to yeah. a point of, it doesn't really represent what they had. 
Yeah. Which ties back to why she doesn't want to hear about yeah. it because yeah. they do know where he, where his last known whereabouts were, where the pile of blood was found was a like love. Yeah. Lover's she, calls it nest. A, she calls it a love nest or a yeah. lover's nest. So she knows, I mean, she does know she thinks it's Glinda and I think she's okay with that because Glinda has this like legendary beauty. Yeah. She's this like, like if he's going to cheat, like I can't fault him I for can't choosing fault him somebody for choosing who's this beautiful, yes, like supermodel and you know. social light. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, and she also is distant. She's never, she hasn't met Glinda. Glinda is yeah. not one of the people that has come to show any respect or, you know, do anything. So it's easier to just think, okay, it was her, her husband did it, the end. Mm-hmm. But like having Alphaba there in her house, Alphaba doesn't acknowledge this child is hers. Yeah. But I think everybody else knows it. <laughs> the sisters say something <laughs> yeah. at one point and they're like, uh, y- your child, you mean? Yeah. Like, I don't remember what she tries to call him, but anyway. Like, I think it's just, it's too close. It's too much. Yeah. Alphaba isn't this legendary beauty. She's green. She's green. She's all She's weird. and elbows. Yes. And <laughs> chin. She, yes, chin. They describe her chin so many times. Like basically, like, it's a hatchet cutting through the atmosphere. Yes, yes. <laughs> that brings up a whole bunch of different feelings, I could imagine, for yeah. Surima going, why would he cheat on me? With that, yeah, she's a fucking lunatic, green crazy witch. And they are getting the Alphaba who's like seven years as a mont. Yeah, seven not, years in mourning. Yeah, and not Alphaba in what I would, I guess, call her prime when yeah. she's doing things she's passionate about and including Fiero. Yeah, <laughs> doing him. <Da-da. laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your other you had talked about when coming clean is about you and oh. your relief? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't really talk a whole lot about that. But I, yeah, I think that's um, a common thread also. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm not saying this about every person who wants to like come clean or confess or just like, you know, I confess seems like such a really extreme word. But I think sometimes people tell the truth about something that they did. And it is just, I don't like the guilty conscience. Mm. And I don't think they actually think through how it's going to affect the person they are coming clean to. Mm -hmm. And it is, but it's hard to know, like, what is the right thing? Like, do you, like, eat, uh, you swallow your guilt, swallow you know, uh, swallow your guilt versus swallowing your pride, I mm-hmm. guess. Because swallowing, to me, I'd like, okay, I'm just going to eat this guilt because I know what this will mean for the person that I'm going to confess to versus swallowing your pride and saying like, hey, my, I need to tell you something. And it, mm-hmm. it is, it's hard to know which of those is the right thing to do. And I, I'm sure it's not a blanket answer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's going to depend on the situation and the person and the feelings and all of that. <sighs> I don't know. It's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. That one is a big, I have a big 
dilemma and struggle in my brain with that. Yeah. And it's, um, it's not a trauma from church, but it's like a highly tied into church for me mm-hmm. because the whole concept of like confession, confession yeah. was a church thing to yeah. me. Like I don't understand in normal life if you are not a churchgoer, what kind of confession you would need to do sure. on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> like I say fuck a lot sorry like yeah no i'm thinking more of like in this in this situation like when you consider somebody who's cheated right on their significant other and it is the question of do you just deal with yourself like like knowing you cheated Mm -hmm. like do you destroy the person by telling them Mm mm-hmm and you feel better for having, maybe not even better, because it's still going to be real shitty to watch that person be devastated. Oh, do you, or do you keep it to yourself and not crush them, but also let them believe, at least for a time, things are better than they really are? That, mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think there's it depends no, on your role in it, too. There's like, no good way. No. You know? This one's tricky for this particular instance because, to me, it would be Fierro's place to tell Sarima. Like, it's not Alphaba's place to tell Sarima in my head. But he's no longer here. So does she need to tell Sarima or is it just for her own? And that's where, like, my my answer would be, like, no, shut the fuck up. Agreed. In this situation (laughs) with Alphaba and Sarima, Sarima has set a clear boundary Mm -hmm. that she doesn't want to talk about this, and I think it's up to Alphaba to fucking respect the boundary. Yeah. Like, in this book, in this situation, coming clean is 100% about Alphaba clearing her conscience. Mm -hmm. It is not about, like, none of it's about Sarima. Right. None of it. But then... What's it going to take if she's not allowed to do this ritual of asking for forgiveness that she's been so set upon for seven years? What's it going to take for her to be able to clear her conscience, for her to be able to accept her fucking son as her son? Like, was she so traumatized for that entire pregnancy and birth that she literally doesn't even realize that he's hers? Because that's the only way that I could justify at all the way she treats him. Yeah. Is that she really does not realize or believe because she was in such a trauma response. Yeah. Like she. But like if that's the case. She's worse than right now. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, like if that's the case, not to be like a completely heartless bitch, but like, I mean, let's be honest. All she did was walk into a room full of blood. She wasn't even there. Yeah. Like that's not even trauma like she didn't watch well, him get kicked you know she didn't watch him get blown up she didn't watch true. him she doesn't even technically know that he's dead but i'm i'm gonna introduce you to the concept of the trauma of filling in the blanks oh which is actually a difficulty for dispatchers because oh. you do like now every call is not traumatic by any means and sometimes the ones that you don't think would stick with you and kind of create that PTSI and injury are not the ones that you think would, you know, like, um, I've taken a double homicide, like answered the phone and the girl said, we've all been shot up in here. She was that calm. And so I'm thinking, what did I actually just answer? And Mm -hmm. I was like, who's, who's all shot up? 
and she loses her shit. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, people really got shot. Turns out it was a double, double homicide. Didn't blink an eye. Mm-hmm. Still doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the one that still to this day sticks with me, and I was within the first two years of being a dispatcher, last fucking 15 minutes of my shift, <laughs> pick up a 911 literally like I got off at five o'clock in the morning so it was 4 45 and I pick it up and this lady is absolutely hysterical and beside herself crying so hard it took me probably a full minute to get her address to where I could understand it she has woken up to her husband's alarm going off um she's like turns to nudge him like hey your alarm's going off he's not in bed and just to not share details, she ends up finding him having committed suicide. That one, I, I I cried all the way home. Like, that call, like, obviously, it still stands out as the one in an entire, like, of actually answering phone calls, eight-year career of answering 911 calls. Still, to this day, sticks with me. Good God. Which is just my point of, like, you don't know which one is going to bug you, like, which one's going to stick with you. But with the trauma of filling in the blanks, like I said on your podcast, was the really unique thing about dispatching is is you manage a crisis you will never lay eyes on. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because, like, a patrol officer or a medic or a firefighter is going to go on scene and see the carnage. So they have the real trauma right in front of them. But a dispatcher just sits there and spins the wheels of why, what might be going on. Like, and they're filling in these blanks that might be far more catastrophic than what responders actually go find. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like the idea of I have created a trauma by filling in a blank because of the absence of information. And so that is like the one thing I can like, yeah extend for alphabet in that situation because it is kind of like i i know you don't know what happened i get that's difficult but like ultimately you really didn't walk in on anything right but she's also had seven years to build it up in her head and build it into whatever that story might look like i mean i'm sure she has imagined what to her would be be her literal worst nightmare to come in and find yeah and she spent seven years thinking about it okay i take it back sorry no i said i was being heartless and i knew it but i did not like yeah i apologize to the universe for that because you're right it's true she does deserve to have she needs counseling she needs a lot (laughs) she She needs needs a lot of therapy but um yeah she does and she needs to accept that Lear is her damn child yeah because at this point she is she's not the only victim of her trauma and she's creating new trauma for Lear like that kid's gonna grow up and need some fucking therapy Mm -hmm. the other thing I liked within this first section um, I'm gonna probably take this point way out of the story (laughs) and just pull it into our real lives but I really really loved the moment where I believe Alphaba is still kind of trying to bully Sarima into this conversation 
and it says Sarima did not like to be ambushed in her own home. Time enough to consider these sudden implications. When she felt up to it and not until. She reminded herself that she was in charge and thus she could afford to be kind. Aww. And so, um, yeah, just as somebody who is in charge of other people, um, at least in the work atmosphere, but um, every day we end up in interactions where one of us has the power, one of us doesn't, or they're just varying levels of who is in charge, so to speak. And I really appreciate the concept of because I have the power, that means I can afford to be kind and I should be. Mm -hmm. I should be willing to extend whatever kindness I can. I think of a conversation that I had recently at work. And in that conversation, like I was the one with all the power. I had a choice for how I responded to this person. Like mm-hmm. I I held all of the cards, literally. I like she did not hold a card. It would not have occurred to me to not treat her with kindness in that moment. And I think more than just like you're in charge so you can afford to be kind. I think when you hold all the cards, when you have the power, I think it's your fucking responsibility to be kind. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable because I did very much hold her accountable and I didn't gloss over anything that was a problem, but it is like the queen says clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. And I think just that I think if you hold all the cards like you need to hold them in kindness I'm giving you a <laughs> silent because it'll sound awful on the she's, thing, she's golf I'm, clapping me. I'm golf clapping <laughs> you because that is fucking brilliant and true and you're right and more people in leadership and authority need to remember that yeah amen the end motherfuckers <laughs> <sighs> yeah yeah, I have such mixed feelings about Sarima, and that was a good one. That was a good positive moment. I have another moment of hers um, when they very first meet. Yeah, like Sarima's basically saying, like I, I'm, I never got a chance to go to call to go to university. Yeah. I lived out here in the country my whole life, but she's like, despite my sheltered life, married at the age of seven, as you may know, raised and reared behind castle curtain walls. I trust my own sense of things and won't be dissuaded. So let me continue. <laughs> yes. And I was like, okay. Like, <laughs> I think sometimes we, I tend to be a little classist with people that have different levels of education yeah. or have been, you know, like never been outside of their home. Like she mentions that she's just never left the castle walls. And there is an element to that where, you know, I do believe travel is good and getting to see people other than yourself is good. And, you know, if you can make that happen, she couldn't. So this is her life. But being able to know her own truth and Mm -hmm. to know her own self-worth despite that and, and her kind of knowing that that is technically maybe could be considered better if she had been able to travel, if she had been able to go places. But they get news from 
all the travelers that yeah. come to them and they're interested in it. And like, that's the, the curious thing about the sisters in terms of like Fiero with Sarima so ready to believe that it was a lover's quarrel and that the husband yeah. killed him. The sisters are like, oh, no, no, no. Like he was a political spy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're like, we're not stupid either. Like yeah. we don't even have names. We're numbered because we don't matter. Yeah. But we don't, we know what's going on and we pay attention. And, and so I think that was a good reminder for me to kind of give people the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, there's ways to be informed and ways to grow if you look for it. And I think yeah. that's the difference is like if you're sheltered and you just let yourself be sheltered and you don't try to learn or try yeah. to be your own version of yourself, that's harder for me to sure. accept. But when you are in a position and sheltered or underprivileged or whatever it is, um, but you do some work and yeah. try and you do the you things know, that you can. Yeah. That's worth a thousand times more. Yeah. So I, I like, I liked her. I liked her. I don't like how she parents. Can we talk about parenting? We sure can. <laughs> I was actually just about to ask you since we're oh talking Sarima. Well, and Alphaba. I don't know. I mean, maybe because it's 2021 and we don't get, these excuses anymore this book is old and the story is older but this whole boys will be boys nonsense yeah this is the book's from 1995 okay Sarima very much lets her kids get away with whatever the fuck they yeah. want to do because they're just boys yeah. and that's just how they are and it infuriates me <laughs> to no end <laughs> because I mean even in the story like Lear's a boy and Lear doesn't act like that yeah Wh why are we doing this Sarima do you not see yeah you know and um that really really infuriates me and frustrates me like she knows her boys are the next, I mean, she's the Dowager Princess, and Abduction. they're next in line. Yes, <laughs> I loved that she did say. That. I wrote it I'm down. The Dowager Princess of Duck shit. I know that. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I liked that so much. I wrote it down just because it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, but her boys are next in line to be princes, right? So rather than just letting them run wild and letting them be assholes and letting them be bullies and as attempted murderers. Why would you not be teaching them how to be good humans? Yeah. Like to be kind when they to hold be the kind. Cards. If you kind say that empowered. about yourself, you yeah. know you have authority and therefore you have the ability to be you know, the the need to be kind. Yeah. Why would you not teach your own children that? Yeah. And Especially when we have a story in the opening about the way that the boys are bullying Lear. Yeah. Like if there's ever a time to start imparting some of that to these kids, like it's definitely now. Yeah. Like maybe they've been isolated and maybe yeah. they haven't had other kids around and maybe she hasn't seen it. But as soon as Nor tells her that story of what they did, that should be her calling them to her room and being like, Hey, you little shits sit in that corner until dinner time and think yeah. about what you did. And then apologize to that poor little boy. Yeah. 
we don't know anything about him. There's no reason to treat him that way. You know, like there's, there's things she could yeah, be doing. And I just, the, yeah, I don't know. The boys will be boys thing. Just, it comes up over and over. If she hears about it or if she sees it, she's always to their defense. Yeah. And it frustrates me a lot. I don't like it. There's a scene in the kitchen right after Manic locks near in the mm. leer yeah. in the uh, fish well where Serima and Alphaba, Alphaba confronts her <laughs> yeah. and says, I, I have a complaint like, to lodge against like, your children. Uh-oh. Like we got the, we got the right? moms duking it out on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's laughable. Serima Alphabet says, I have a complaint to lodge against your children. Serima, the sweet little vandals? What now? <sighs> have they been putting spiders in your bed sheets again? <laughs> and she's, you know, no, they're teasing Chistery. They will not listen when I talk to them. Can't you do anything to them? You know What's what? to be done, says Serima. And what drives me fucking crazy about that is she's coming to the defense of Chistry, but never comes to the defense of Lear. Yeah, no, for sure. There's parenting issues with Alphaba yeah, that we like, can absolutely need to discuss as well. Yeah. For sure. That's what I think is funny is like, I in my head, I forget Lear is Alphaba's child because she... Because she's so treat, doesn't, just like indifferent. So when this conversation started, I was like, oh, this is this was my favorite conversation as a mom when somebody without children would tell me uh, how to parent. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, she does have well, a kid. Wait, she does have a kid. She just she doesn't, just doesn't even act like it. Act like he exists. But it is. It's a thing that is frustrating as a parent. And I know before I had children, I did it all the time where I was like, "Ugh, my kids are never going to act like that, (laughs) you know? And then I have kids and guess what? They act like that. They act like that. Sometimes. Yeah. No, no. They're perfect angels. They're sweet little vandals. I've met them. They're not vandals. They're way too lazy to be vandals, (laughs) but they do have smart ass little attitudes that I have given them and it's my own fault. So I know that. But they know how to treat other people. Yeah. You know, like, that's the difference. (laughs) I don't let them get away with just anything. The part where she says they will not listen when I talk to them. This is a struggle I have with, like, being the age I am and what I didn't know when my kids were little and what I'm learning now. And there's, like, all these different parenting styles and there's gentle parenting which I'd never heard of and seems like a lot of work (laughs) where you like literally never tell your kids no and you don't raise your voice ever. And I'm like, man, I can barely get out of bed without raising my voice. Like that just isn't me. But um, one of the things that I, in my early parenting and the, the atmosphere I was in was very, very much about obedience and authority and respect And, you know, we said the word obey probably 70 times in my house when my kids were little every day, which I don't necessarily agree with now. I don't love that we tried to, like, push that blind obedience to authority on them. But, like, the balance between that and, like, not listening to any adults and just doing whatever the fuck they want. That's what I'm looking for. I want that happy medium. 
of like, how do I teach my kids to be decent humans and be respectful because respect is due to people, not because I told them to, because it's just how you treat people. Yeah. And why is it just how you treat people? (laughs) Like, why is my default that I should respect people? Maybe they're not respectable, but like they're going into her space. They're going into her room. They're torturing her monkey. Yeah. Like they need to back the fuck off. Yeah. But they've never heard the word obey in their life. So who's going to teach them that? And then she comes in and is trying to tell them and they're not listening to her. So she goes to the mom and the mom's like me. Try this rutabaga. How does this taste? What are you going to do? You know, kids will be kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, parenting's hard. It's a fucking journey and it is not for the faint of heart. But um, these two are alphaba not i mean in literally the whole time lear's missing alphaba never takes note never asks a question never wonders where she is it's the sister four that even notices yeah. and i think Sarima at one point notices also it makes you wonder why she even did the icicle i mean that's the thing and that's why i think like maybe this is this whole entire distancing is her trauma response. Like yeah. on Lurleen Moss, sure. she goes to her room and she's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to isolate because she's yeah. grieving. This is her, you know, time frame of remembrance for yeah. Fiero. And she isolates and distances herself. So Lear is a constant reminder yeah. of Fiero. And the maybe the only way she can function is to constantly distance herself yeah. from that reminder. But, like, get some therapy, girl, because the other thing you could do is embrace him as a reminder of Fiero and be so thankful you have him as a reminder of Fiero and love him because you can't love Fiero. And, or, I mean, you know, you can love him, but he's gone. But also, (sighs) also, you're a parent now. Yeah. And you owe it to him to do what's best for him. Yeah. Like. I don't know. I would argue. And I know, I know she, I don't think she would have chosen to bring him along. I know that was more the superior Mont who I think kind of forced that on. <laughs> yeah. So I would have, I would have argued the right thing would have been to leave him behind. If his alternative is this. Yeah. I would agree. Just saying. I say that to somebody who doesn't have children. No, and that's, yeah, it's so hard because it is, it's so much trauma and it's, she didn't have the world's best example of parents, but she even says like in this argument with Sarima, Sarima is like, I can't send them to school. This is when she talks about them being targets as, you know, princes and stuff. And Alphaba brings up her childhood and she's like, I was paraded around in a religion that I didn't even believe, but I did what I was asked, like took care of my sister who was horribly disfigured from birth. Like I did what I needed to do because I needed to be a decent human being. Yeah. You know? Yeah. She didn't have the greatest example of parents necessarily, but somehow she still learned at that point in her life, how to do what was required to get along. Yeah. Surima believes there's something inherently good about children 
Alphaba doesn't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk so. about cold and hot anger? Oh, yeah. That's also this uh, boys will be boys thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sarima is explaining to Auntie Guest um, after they find Lear and after they help him and get him warmed up and back to Nanny's room, they're... I don't know, maybe having a brandy over the <laughs> fire. I have no idea, but um, Sarima is lecturing her, lecturing Alphaba about what happened. They kind of get in, an, you know, just an argument over whose fault it was or whatever. Yeah. And then and then they decided instead just start talking about the differences between boys and girls. But Sarima tells about their initiation, right, in their tribe and that the boys are taken out and, like, left in the grasslands and have to survive. Basically, it's um, just a survival ritual. But she starts talking about these the hot and cold anger. So boys and girls experience both, but as they grow up, the angers separate according to the sex. Boys need hot anger to survive. They need the inclination to fight the drive to sink the knife into the flesh, the energy and initiative of fury. It's a requirement of hunting, of defense, of pride. Maybe of sex, too. Um, And then she says, and girls need cold anger. They need the cold simmer, the ceaseless grudge, the talent to avoid forgiveness, the sidestepping of compromise. They need to know when they say something that they will never back down, ever, ever. It's the compensation for a more limited scope in the world. Uh, Should I keep going? Yeah, I like the next part. (laughs) (laughs) Cross a man and you struggle. One of you wins, you adjust and go on. Or you lie there dead. Cross a woman and the universe is changed. Once again, for cold anger requires an eternal vigilance in all manners of slight and offense. And then Alphaba kind of considers the versions of these angers that she's known, like through Dr. Dillamond, Madame Morrible. Mm-hmm. And like you had mentioned, I think in the recap is that she comes to the conclusion that really you need both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She says, but to be successful, one would need to access, one would need access to both sorts. And then she kills Manic with an icicle <laughs> <laughs> with her mind. Cause she, but she's not a witch. <laughs> So, I mean, first of all, I don't love just the gender stereotyping because, you know, people are people and we all have these. But like it says, they we they're born with both. They experience both. But as they grow up, the angers separate according to the sexes, according is the tradition. Yeah. Or the tribal belief. Um, So there's some wiggle room there for how yeah you know I just think of like I know this isn't at all where that book was going but I think about now about the different components that make us who we are uh, between like our biological sex but then our gender expression Mm -hmm. and uh, you know all the different things like sexual attraction but sexual orientation and things like that sexual behaviors when I think of, sure, I mean, your biological sex is your biological sex, but in terms of gender expression and who you, or gender identity, and what you feel is right, like, that's a spectrum. And I think the more balanced on that spectrum, maybe the more access you have to each of these different types of anger. Right. Um, Because thinking about it, 
initially I was like, oh, I am all here for playing the long game. Like, it's very Slytherin of me. Like, <laughs> I don't care how long it takes for me to get the result I want. I, I will play the long game. But I also know I have one hell of a temper. <laughs> uh, and so I think I, I, I realize I actually... I think I have ac access to both of those mm -hmm. angers pretty readily available. Yeah. Um, but I do, I did really like the way that she described the cold anger though. Yeah. When she talked about um, like the simmering grudge, mm -hmm. the ability to kind of avoid and evade extending forgiveness because it can kind of act as that slow burning fuel to play the long game mm -hmm. to wait until you get to strike mm -hmm. <laughs> so evil i love it <laughs> <sighs> yeah it's a it's quite a distinction that i just don't think i've ever thought of yeah and I think that's why I found it so intriguing. It really is really like, intriguing. Trying to identify, like, which one am I more? And I feel more hot anger, mm -hmm. honestly, because I don't, I don't think I'm smart enough to play the long game most <laughs> of the time. Like, I don't know. What did you just say? I don't remember. <laughs> like, um, but I definitely have the <laughs> furious rage <laughs> often. I think it's interesting, too, the different ways she described, like, when you cross a man and when you cross a woman, like, is very zero-sum with yeah. men. She basically said, you cross a man, you fight, and one of you walks away, mm -hmm. one of you doesn't, Yeah, as a victor. And it was just so non-binary when it came to the woman. Cross a woman and the universe has changed once again. For cold anger requires an eternal vigilance in matters, in all matters of slight and offense. Yeah. Like if you cross a woman, watch your back for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> like men, it tends to be, in her description, with men, it tends to be like we fight, one of us walks away, we're done with this interaction. Mm -hmm. Not so with women. Yeah. <laughs> According to Sarima. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's where I'm like, ah, it's, I, I get where they're going and I get that it's like part of the story and that's the point. But like, I just am like, yeah, but I'm the, let's just fight. I don't fight physically. I fight right. with words, but I also fight quickly and I want it to be done and then I'm over it. Like, I don't think about it anymore. I don't think about it 30 years <laughs> later. Like... It's interesting because, like, I really don't think I'm a grudge holder, not for long, just because I feel like it requires an amount of energy that I'm not willing to put into it. And, I mean, granted, I think it would depend on the offense, but I'm also the kind of person who will, I don't think I will sit and actively look for an opportunity to destroy you, but when it presents... <laughs> I will destroy you. <laughs> See, and that's why I feel like the hot anger. Cause I am the same. Like, I'm not like out, like thinking about it and like, yeah. like I'm not obsessed with it. No, but like if you fight me, I will win yeah. and you're not going to like it. Yeah. If you fight me, I will win, but it might be a long time later. Um. And I'm going to be like, Gotcha, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit of both. I don't, I don't feel like I hold grudges, but I also, I just cut ties. Like at a certain point, if we're not getting along, if we're not, if there's like something that has got to be an INFP thing. Is that what it is? It's got to be, there has to be something to it. Yeah. Cause I'm just like, it's just not worth it. Like I'm not going to keep fighting. I'm not, I don't want to fight cause I'm a nine and I don't want to fight and it's not going anywhere and you're not coming my direction and I'm not going your direction and this is not worth it. Yeah. I just don't want to give you my energy. Yeah. I have to save all that for me. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I don't have time for that. And that's why I like, and then I'm thinking about like, so I'm thinking about that in terms of like friendships and other like outside relationships where it's like, church people, work people, you know, it's not even like, we don't even have to have fought. It's just that like, we don't have anything in common anymore. We don't work together anymore. We were fine while we worked together. Like, cool. Like I'll sit across the lunch table for you at break from you at break time and hear about your weekend. But like, I don't really care. (laughs) So I'm done. When I quit that job, we're, we're cool. Bye. I might have a, I might have a thing that happened that makes me mad and then like you know like that work person if I see them at the grocery store 10 years later I might be like oh hey it's good to see you how's things going what have you been doing in your life yeah, blah, blah, 10 blah. years later what about one year later the the were any of those like the if it's just a distance thing like just a non out of sight out of mind what you're about in my sight they, here what about if they work at a place that really likes red I will be friendly. <laughs> That's not what your face said. <laughs> no, because they're fake, so I'll be fake too. Like, I don't know. Well, okay. No, that's probably I'm not just, true. I'm just it's probably not you. true. It, but they hurt me. That's yeah. different. That's different. True. And so if you if if it's been yeah. a situation where you've hurt me or you know there is conflict, and I see you somewhere in public, there is a good chance I'm going to Avoid pretend you. I didn't see yeah. you and walk the other direction. I recently had this happen. I went to a memorial and at the memorial, there was a lot of people from like a lot of different time periods of my life. So I'm, you know, it's a memorial. It's weird. Yeah. I'm greeting people saying hello to people, whatever. And this certain person walks in and I literally like spun and like, um, like race walked away and I was just like, fuck, I do not want to talk to yep. this person at all. Do not, cannot, not into it. Uh, they definitely hurt me yeah. in the past and I have not talked to them and it's fine. I don't need their confession. I don't need sure. them to ask for my forgiveness. I'm fine with us just not talking to one another. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> memorial happens afterward. There's like food in the lobby blah, and I'm standing around talking and this person is beelining towards me and I'm like no 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 stops it's like hey I couldn't couldn't let the day pass without saying hi to you how are you doing you should have said you could (laughs) have I did (laughs) worked for me that's that cold anger it's hot anger I have like ooh, the opportunity presented itself finally Mm -hmm. and so I'll be like sure I'll twist the knife. No, because then I was like, oh, good. It's good to see you. Thanks. 
And then they walked past me. I was like, there was four of us talking to each other. They said hi to this person that they didn't really know, said what they said to me, walked past me to talk to the other two people, stopped and talked to them for like 10 minutes. So it was like, you did not want to catch up with me. You did not want to stop and see how I was doing. You were just making a point that you're a better person because you came over to talk to me. And they probably saw me turn tail and run when I saw them (laughs) before the service. So they were. So like if it, if it would have been that situation for me, like just to establish dominance (laughs) when they were coming towards me, I just would have like death stared and like not, no, I wouldn't have walked away. Uh I'd been like, you're going to come, come on, motherfucker. Come say hi to me. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) I would never have said it's good to see you. I don't know if I said it. <laughs> I don't know if that's what I said. I, it was definitely just very surface level, sure. superficial, but it was mostly just. It would have been yeah. worth what it cost me in energy to just establish dominance. Yeah, I can't do it. I'd <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, just walk away. Cold anger. That's <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah. uh, interesting. It's a really interesting thought and I think I think Elphaba's right like I think a balance of the two I mean I think the balance exists no matter what but I also agree you need the blend of the two if you're going to because it talks a lot um about how hot anger is like uh it's a fuel like it helps move you forward as she talks about survival and things like that and I think every now and then you need a literal fire under your ass not literal, a metaphorical <laughs> fire under your ass. It's like, whoa, really? <laughs> yeah. Ouch. <laughs> uh, set your ass on fire. Um, no, I think you need that metaphorical fire to actually, you know, fuel your passion and your desire and your momentum and things like that. But I think on the flip side of that, like equally important is that slow burning fuel that will, even when things don't seem like they're moving forward, when you have 20 regular listeners um, (laughs) 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 who you're incredibly thankful for. Yes. Um, Like you need that slow burning long-lasting fuel that will feed you even when it doesn't seem like there's momentum. The thing that you just, every now and then you look, has that opportunity presented itself yet? Nope, that's okay. We'll keep going. And I'll fuck up your world. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Yeah, I I think I'm just going to have to kind of pay attention to my angers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about that one. Figure out how I feel about all of this. When I'm not in a mad fury about something, I'll stop and think about it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's all I have. Same, other than I had a moment where I was like, oh, this was like me when I met Karen over Zoom. What? Where, uh, I, I mean, I have to kind of put a, I I stop at a certain point of the sentence. Okay. But it's where Alphaba tells Sarima, I intend to befriend you so thoroughly. <laughs> and she says, so you change your mind. Oh. But it's definitely a bit of a 
uh, friendship in the name of manipulation <laughs> on that one, but <laughs> not not so. Oh, not us. Not for us. Them. For yeah, Alpha. I get it. I get it. Yes. I know that I st- I love our origin story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Random ass book club that I have no reason to be in, and I am like, <laughs> I choose you. Like, well, I like You're you. You're gonna be my friend. You, that you. little square you, on you my right Zoom there. screen. Yep, I love it. Love it so much. Should we do some hot seats, or do you have anything else you wanna mm, bring I, up? I am good. I have nothing else. I've already warned you about today's. a hot seat question. <laughs> I will have to think of one. I've warned you about today's that you're going to hate it. Okay. Like, you don't even know the level of hate you're oh, going to no. have for this. Should Should we do it first and get it over with? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Is it going to include me having to make a decision? Oh, yeah. Oh, and f- it's a decision <laughs> that you're going to be incredibly angry to uh. make. All right. Are you ready for this? Oh, God. Are you really ready for this? I don't know. Am I? I don't know. You're making me nervous. So one of the things that sisters two through four do to pass the time is they read the same book repeatedly. Oh, no. Over and over. I did you a solid if you could only read one series of books. So an actual series, over and over, for the rest of your life, what would the series be? <laughs> you really hate me. I could have gone for one book, and I didn't. Okay. I actually have an answer, because you made it a narrowed down it series. It's a series. And I just had a conversation with the man at the Bent Corner used bookstore. Oh. His name's Jeff. Hi, he was very friendly, and I really liked it. It's the first time I've been there. It's right around the corner from my house. I don't know why I've never been. But I want to name a cat Jeff. <sighs> my brother's name is Jeff. So <laughs> yeah. That'd be weird for me, but... <laughs> I'm going to um, name your cat Jeff. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You can name Sirius anything. He's got lots of names. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were talking about The Giver by mm. Lois Lowry. Yeah. And how his like middle school teacher that gave him and had him read The Giver did him such a disservice by not telling him that was a series. I didn't know it was a And it a wasn't until either. he was an adult and read all four. It's four books. Hmm. And when you read all four of them, it is glorious. And it's one of those, like he was comparing it to, he actually was comparing it to Wheel of Time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not in terms of anything other than, you know, he loves Wheel of Time. He's read it multiple times. But when he reads Wheel of Time, he gets the same things out of it. You know, like he reads it and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember when this happened. Yeah. But when he reads the Giver series, every time he reads it, you like you get something else out of it. Got you. You catch on to more. And that's I've read it three times. I've only read the Giver. So now I have have one book that has all four in it. So, yeah, you should borrow that. I will, but not today because I <laughs> still have two of your books. That's fine. One of them Brittany's reading, though. It's really I finished fine. that one really I fast. Care. I am a library. But I would read I would read The Giver because I have read it three times and I feel like I get more out of it every time. And it is one of my favorite. It's like a dystopian future-ish yeah. weird, you know. But the four stories could technically, I was talking, I was saying it's also another series 
one of very few series books where you probably could read each individual like one and not really even but once you read them all and then you read the fourth one it ties everything together in like oh. the most glorious way that like you're just Half-Blood like prince what it's so good it's so good so there you go that's what i would do okay and since i have all four books in one it would really just be one book that i would need <laughs> there you go um will of time would be a good one just because there are f- 14 books plus a prequel in the series mm. but i wouldn't pick will of time i like will of time but i don't enjoy it that much yeah i would probably go with stephen king's the dark tower series mm. yeah that's i've read the full thing twice and the way it is written just i i always say that series has the greatest first line in literature and also the greatest last line in literature oh wow it's the same whoa um yeah and it <laughs> fucking blows your goddamn mind um but since i've only read the first book yeah, I, I can't ruin it for you <laughs> um but the way that the story is written and the way it ends, like to go back through it each time you will pick up on clues that were telling you how it ends the entire series. Mm. And so I would, and it is my favorite series. Like and there's like seven, seven. And that like gives you a lot, you know how much I, and it's Stephen King. So yeah, over half of them are gigantic. Yeah. So yeah. Dark Tower series. That's good. You ready for mine? I am. Okay. Do you have it now? I do. Look at you. I know. I like flipped to a page and I was like, oh wait, duh. Of course, this is what it is. So when we hear the story of St. Elphaba, we find out that she um, was being hunted after (laughs) by men (laughs) and wild beasts and she was fucking annoyed. So she goes with a bunch of grapes (laughs) And um, her holy book and hides herself behind a waterfall naked with a book and some grapes and doesn't come out for like 400 years. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Where, where would your, what would you, that situation, where would you be? Where would you go? What would you have with you? So is it like place, food, and item? Yes. Okay. Three part answer. My place would be the library in Beauty and the Beast. Ooh. Okay. And that the Beast Castle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My food would be sucks because what like I'm craving right now would definitely not be something that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a bean and cheese burrito? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's probably oh. what I would pick, though. <laughs> no, it's the cherry hand pies from the co-op. Oh. That'd be really sweet to live off for the rest of your life, though. So. But she only eats, like, one grape every once in a while for so maybe 400 it's like years. one bite. Yeah. And it's, it's like limus bread from Lord of the Rings. You know if you... I don't know you it. Know if I'm you read so it. sorry. Yeah, when you sent me a meme the other day with Gandalf, I was like, yeah, you don't get to do this. <laughs> I know. I sent it to you because I knew you would get it. I did not. But I was like, yeah. Naki will appreciate this. I did. Um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't I wouldn't be well sustained on sweet. I'd only be sustained on savory. So thank you. It will be a bean and cheese burrito <laughs> with sour cream. <laughs> 
And my item, oh, it's such a toss-up between a book and my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pick a book mm-hmm. only because Fenway and I, Fenway and I are going to get really tired of each other. Yeah. And I run the risk of her not living forever, but me living forever. Yeah, that's right. Because you don't know if she's going to yeah. be an, a, a saint. Maybe she's got to also eat my burrito. Oh. Yeah, and then you have to pick up dog shit for 400 years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I would also <laughs> pick a book. <laughs> okay. I'd have a magic book that uh, changes it changed to... Content. Yeah, it changed. Depending like, oh, today it's to Wicked. Read. Oh, tomorrow it's... Dark Tower. Dark Tower. <laughs> and then Dune. And then Gideon the Ninth. And mm. then... <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, So, I think my... Oh, you cheated because you're in a library and you have a oh, magic book. Oh shit! You have literally all I, the entertainment. I for wasted the rest of a time. part of my scenario, mm. but I liked your answer. Yeah, all of it. So I, I will accept it. I think my place. I would need to have water. I, I liked the say. library answer. I was actually going to say the Library of Alexandria, mm. just because I think that would be really cool to have seen, but it doesn't exist anymore and. Well, mine's it technically be fictional. Like pa- so. Papyrus that I couldn't read, so mm. it would be pointless. Um, but I think it would need. I would need. I'm a. I'm a very um, delicate flower, so I would need some sort of shelter, <laughs> but also some water. So I'm picturing like a little cabin, kind of like the pod shed, okay. but like next to a, a creek. Hmm. So I I'm could. Surprised you went creek versus like. Oregon coast type Oh, stuff. I hate the coast. Oh, it's cold and windy. And windy. I don't like the wind. I hate wind. There's no wind in my 400 year. <sighs> There's like maybe a slight breeze when it's hot, but no, not wind. Wind <laughs> can fuck right and off. Especially not capital W wind. Yeah, exactly. Anywho. Now your food. Yeah. Food would just be cheese. <laughs> it would just be cheese. All the cheeses or one cheese. I don't care. Sharp should be cheddar. all the cheeses. Sharp cheddar is my fucking Or it's jam. like a magic refrigerator that every time I open it, like your book, is a different kind of cheese. So it gives yeah. me some variety. But also sharp cheddar is, I can live off that forever. Same. I mean, I can't because I'd have a heart attack. But, um, and then my item, I mean, it's going to have to be a book yeah. also. There's just what, no What the other. fuck else are you going to do? I'm taking your magic book. <laughs> yeah. Because I. Good news. They made two. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Thank you, magicians. Perfect. I love it. Me too. Social media. It's a thing. We have it. What? And it is at Filtered Through Fiction on Instagram at fil- nope. FilteredThroughFiction.com on the web. <laughs> <laughs> at Filtered Through Fiction on the web. Nope, nope, nope. Nope, that's not how the web works. Just kidding. Yeah, just type that in the search bar at Filtered Through Fiction, but literally the word at. That's a joke. Um. (laughs) Sorry, I was reading your caption for today's episode. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. You should be. Just kidding. (laughs) What if we were really like that? Anyway. You bitch. How dare you not listen to every word I ever say. You're fired. I think we've kind of burned this into the ground. Burn it all down. Oh, wait, that's not today's episode. Anyway, you can find us at all of those places. All two. 
Yeah. Make it easy for you, at least. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's only one thing left to do. Mm -hmm. Until next time, friends. Manic, Manic is garbage. garbage. Bye! Bye. <laughs>